Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you shall not, for you will not abandon my soul to shoal or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Mosaic. How we doing? Y'all can do better now. How we doing? Uh, you're looking good. You're looking good. Um, as you probably noticed, I'm not Morgan. Uh, I am the taller chocolate dip version of him. So uh, he is actually on vacation with him and his family, so pray that they have a wonderful time of rest and come back refreshed. So you're you're stuck with me today, and we're trusting the Lord is going to move and speak to you. Uh, As we mentioned last week, we're going to start a a, a new series called Storyteller, Stories Behind the Psalms. And and basically, this is we're going to take the, the next series of, of time to talk through 150 books, right, of, of, of Psalms. So I think we'll finish right around May of 2021. That sound okay with you guys? You good? You good with that? No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just playing. Uh, the fact that you, your face is kind of, one of y'all was like, is he for real? Is he, is he serious? Because, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, we're going to take the next few weeks, not next few years, to, to talk about Psalms. And so we've handpicked a few chapters to unpack and hopefully give us a glimpse into what's going on at the time of these, these writings. And as I, as I mentioned, there's a 150 compositions written by various authors. And yet the, the interesting thing is that there's a common theme, there's a common thread, that this is a book of poetry, lyric poetry in, in particular. And, and so this expresses the inner emotions of the one who wrote it. You could say that Psalms represents a songbook for the people of God. I don't know about you, but occasionally when I, I hear a song, it, it, it kind of just expresses, it puts words to what I may be feeling or what I might be going through in a season of life. And, and, and the Psalms reminds me of that. It's almost like this playlist that, that, that kind of touches on whatever you might be experiencing in your life. And so it's a, it's a powerful and wonderful opportunity to, 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 to really express and see what God is speaking not only in this time, but in, in our time. The, the book of Psalms is actually quoted, the most quoted book in the New Testament. 68 times it's been quoted in the New Testament. And so my, my, my hope is, is that, you know, it's, it's almost like me. Whenever I hear that, that song that I like, I could be in the middle of a, a serious conversation and I'm like, wait, pause. <laughs> That's my jam. Turn that up. <laughs> right. You know, and so my, my hope is to, to take a moment and take some time today. I won't be before you very long and, and to, to turn up the volume, so to speak, on one of my favorite psalms. And that is Psalm 16. And so with that being said, uh, let's take a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your, your presence in our lives. I pray, Father, that I would, I would get out of the way 
and that your words would come from my lips. I pray you would speak through me, Father, that you would, you, would, you would give what is needed for every single person in this place, sitting in this room under the sound of my voice. I pray, God, that you would give them all that they need to fill their hearts and bring them closer to you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's message is called Music to My Ears. The, the, the 16th chapter begins with this expression called the mitkam of David. And, and a lot of people refer to this as the golden psalm. The, the, the life setting actually of this chapter is, is actually difficult to determine. Some believe it was a time of peace. Others believe that it was during a time of crisis. But no matter what was going on in this, this, this time and space, either way, I believe that there's some golden nuggets of truth that will apply to us today. Each chapter typically falls under some type of genre. Um, one, one of the most common ones is layman. That basically means that people are complaining about their life sucks. I mean, that's what, that, that was what the, the Psalms would, would be for them. Others are, are, are thanksgiving. This is a, a point where, where God, they're, they're giving thanksgiving for God delivering them or, or answering a prayer. And so what the psalm that we're, we're reading today in Psalm 16 is, is referred to most commonly as a, a song of confidence or a song of trust. And you'll see throughout the verses as we read earlier that this is David placing his confidence and talking about how much he trusts the Lord. And so with that being said, we're, there's a few things that I'd like to dive into today. There's three things that we're going to talk about, and those things are all I need, beauty for ashes, fullness of joy. Again, all I need, beauty for ashes, and fullness of joy. Let's start with verse 5. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Taking a look at, at verse 5, this is, is powerful what David says. He's saying, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. When we think about chosen portion, it's reference to, to some share of food typically. And, and, and my cup, that's in reference to some sort of drink. So what, what David is saying about God, he's saying that you are my food and my drink. And in essence, he's saying you're all I need because it's cup and portions are, are metaphors for God's sustenance. So here David is proclaiming, making this declaration that God is all that he'll ever need. You know, and, and, and David, he's a man who was blessed with many possessions, a lot of things in his life that he could express gratitude for. He's t- he always often would thank God for all of his blessings. But I, I think what's important to note is that David's joy wasn't wrapped up in God's gifts, but in his presence. See, the, the Lord himself was the greatest gift David ever received. David was the kind of guy that it was, it just was tough to go Christmas shopping for him. You just say, David, what you want for Christmas this year? It's to bask in the glory of God. You know, and you're like, can you imagine him playing a harp when you do it? To bask in the glory of God. And you're like, I can't help you. I can't order that on Amazon. It doesn't matter if you're a prime member or not. And so how about, David, I'll give you a pen. You can write me another psalm. I need that in my life. But in all, in all seriousness, David got something. He understood an importance of walking with God. There was something in the soul and core of his being that he grabbed hold of and, and, he, and he recognized that, you know what? Even with power, even with wealth, David really didn't idolize those things. He recognized that, that he, couldn't, he wasn't created to worship the gift, but he was created to worship the one who gave him. And so I, 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 I like to take a moment, you know, and, and if you're in this room right now 
If you're like me, I'll, just, I'll be the first one to confess, you might be sitting in this room and, and maybe the world has given you a fair share of, of disappointment. Maybe you've had your portion of, of pain and, and it doesn't push you naturally to make the same proclamation that David made. Maybe you're in this room and maybe you, you may be asking the question like, God, why does it seem like I'm going through the hard time right now and everybody around me seems to be okay? God, what? Is this a result of some sin in my life? Are you punishing me? Do you see me? Do you see how this is affecting me? Do you even care? Many times things in our life push us to do this. I've been there. And, and truthfully, I encourage us to, to acknowledge that, that we don't always know what people are going through. And depending on the vantage point we're, we're looking from, our, our pain, our situation might be better or worse than someone around us. But no matter what, the important thing to note is that God is all that we need. He is our portion and our cup. Oftentimes, the greater the pain, the greater the provision. I'll say it again. Oftentimes, the greater the pain, the greater the provision. There's no wound that's beyond the healing hand of God. At the end of the verse, he goes on to say, he holds my lot. In this particular verse, the, 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 the word used for, for, for hold my lot is garal. It's basically the, the pebbles are used for systematic decisions or casting of lot. This was, this was done by, by those, in the Jews in the Old Testament and, and even the Christian disciples leading up to the Pentecost. They, they would basically do this to determine the will of God. And so, so when they were casting lots, there's really no way to know what the outcome is going to be. And so when, God, when, when, when David is, is, is referring to this, it's, it's the modern kind of way of, of rolling dice, so to speak. Some of y'all got excited. You want to go to Vegas right now? Blackjack. I'm going to pray for you. So what, what David is saying is that God is, is, is in, he's, he holds my lot. He's saying that whatever the outcome is, God is going to be in it. So whether I'm rolling seven or I'm snake eyes, for those of you who are familiar with rolling dice, he says, God is with me. He says, you're, you're in the best season of my life or my darkest hour. Literally, he's saying, God, you hold the outcome and you hold me too. This brings me to our next point, which is beauty for ashes. Verse six says, says this, it says, the Lord, but the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The Hebrew word for, 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 for lines is, is, is Havel. I won't say it the actual way because I might spit on the people on the front row. And, you know, it's like, it's like you hacking a loogie when you say it. So I, I'll, I'll spare you the, the, the horror of that. But, but basically, there's, there's a couple of different definitions for, for this. The first one being measuring cord or line. And, and it's often referring to the division of, of land or territory, which makes sense as it relates to, to inheritance. But there's another definition, which I hadn't considered before, and the one that we're going to focus on today. And this definition is pain and sorrow. So when we rewrite the verse and, and we put in the, the second definition, it reads like this. It says, my pain and sorrow has fallen for me in pleasant places. My pain and sorrow has fallen for me in pleasant places. You may or may not be aware of this, but the last couple of years have been very difficult for, for me and my family. It all began in, in April of 2016 when we found out we were pregnant with our second baby girl. 
And as a precaution, the, the doctors informed us that because of uh, my wife's age, that, that, that there's, it's, it's not uncommon for there to be more complications during the pregnancy than, than for people that are under this certain age. And so as they, they, they encouraged us to, to, to take some, some tests and we, we heeded their, their counsel and, and, and the, the, the reality is we said, we'll get the blood work done because we knew that in January of the following year, my, my wife would be this certain age right at the time of delivery. So, well, you know what, let's just be, let's just do it. Let's get on the safe side. So with, with this in mind, we move forward. And so the test results come back and the, and the blood work indicated that there was, there was uh, an, a, some chromosomal things that were, that were off. The doctors weren't really comfortable with it. In particular, there was another copy of, of the chromosome 21, which is a sign of Down syndrome. According to their testing, this coupled with Yolanda's age, along with some other variables, indicated a 79% chance that our little girl would have Down syndrome. When we heard the news, our hearts were broken. We spent the next few months, a whole bunch of ultrasounds, appointments, watching for indicators of chromosomal issues and looking at the screen, hoping that God would change our narrative, that we see hope. After months had passed, over time, God started to pour out grace in our hearts in such a way that we begin to recognize that we can celebrate joy's life no matter what may come along with it. And so as time went on, appointment after appointment, things began to look up. We, we appeared, there, there, there appeared to be some additional openings in her heart that, that went away. There was fluid around her kidneys and all of a sudden that, that reduced and went down significantly. And at, at the ultrasound in, in September of that year, I remember our doctor telling us that she was confident that, that there weren't going to be any severe complications that would, that would end in surgery. And in fact, she believed that based on where we were at that point, that, that even if our daughter was to have Down syndrome, she would have the best version of it that you could have. And so at the end of that month, we went on a much needed vacation with our hearts somewhat relieved. After a week of our return, we, we went to another appointment and, and Joy's heart was strong. She was growing at, at, a, at the right rate and, and things seemed to be good. A few weeks after that, on a Monday morning, Yolanda comes to me and she says, babe, I'm, I'm concerned. I hadn't, I hadn't felt the baby kick since yesterday. So we prayed and, and, and it was important because we're in week 20, 28 and typically around that time, you, you, you count the kicks to measure the baby's activity. So we prayed and, and we trusted the Lord and they said, you know, what? but this looks, call the, call the doctors just in case, just to be safe. So they said they'd like to see us. And so we set an appointment for 1030 that morning. And when we arrived, they were able to see us immediately. We, we go in this room and they begin to, 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 to put the device on her belly to, to listen for a heartbeat. And they couldn't tell if it was Yolanda's heartbeat or a baby's. After multiple tries, the nurse and the midwife, they just kind of were like having a hard time. And so they invited a doctor to come in and she comes in with this, this different ultrasound. And I'll never forget the look on her face. When she looked at my wife and I, I said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And in that moment, our lives came to a screeching halt as we realized that our daughter was no longer alive. The doctors were shocked, just like we were. They, they, they said that there was no indication that something like this was going to happen. I can't help but wonder when David's writing this song, what was going through his mind? 
Was he, was he stressed about something? Was he, was he thinking about all the victories he had won? Was he thinking about when he slayed a giant? Or was he thinking about when he lost his best friend, Jonathan? Or was he thinking about when he lost his son, Absalom, who later betrayed him? Or was David praising God for the fact that everything was good? Or was he proclaiming God's goodness even in the midst of pain? Was David finding the beauty in the ashes? The author and theologian Howard Thurman said this. He said, whatever may be the tensions and the stresses of a particular day, there is always lurking close at hand the trailing beauty of forgotten joy or unremembered peace. It almost seems oxymoronic to say that there's pleasure in pain. Then I'm reminded of Psalms 34, 8, when it says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In Psalms 147, 3, he says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And during the most difficult season of our lives, I felt God saying to me, you've known me as Lord and Savior, but now you will know me as your healer. I don't think we felt any greater pain to date than the pain surrounding the loss of our daughter. To this day, Yolanda and I say that this was the best, worst experience we've ever had. God's presence in the hospital to our community surrounding us with love and support. Nursing staff coming in saying that they felt joy and laughter when they came in. One of the nurses even came to the memorial service. I wish I could tell you that I'm completely healed. But I'm not. Though the, the cut in my soul is no longer an open wound, the scar still remains. I remember not long ago, I was sitting in my living room on the couch with my, my oldest daughter, Bethany, and, and we were playing and I had on a tank top and there's this mark on my, on my left shoulder. And my, my little girl says, Daddy, what's that? I begin to, to tell her of this, this summer day when I was a kid and I was riding my bicycle wearing pants. Why was I wearing pants in the summer? I don't know but I was pedaling like my life depended on it. As kids do, we're just crazy. Somehow, some way, one of the pants legs on my jeans got caught in a wire at the back of the bike. And before I knew it, I went flying in the air. And I hit the pavement. And as I hit the concrete, my, my shoulder skid on it. And my, my shoulder was just laid open flesh, bleeding. I could see the stained red on the concrete as I run home in tears. I was wounded. You know, it took, it took weeks, even, even months for that, for that wound to, to heal. And you know what's interesting, though, is that God made us, our, our bodies in a very powerful and wonderful way. Because really what a wound is is when there's an opening or break in your skin. And, and believe it or not, the skin is the, the largest organ in the body as far as mass and weight. And I found, this, I found this fascinating because the, the, the skin is designed to be a protector. It's designed to be this barrier because what can happen is, is once the skin is broken, germs can get inside and they can even cause infections. This can happen even in surgery. And sometimes it can get so bad it can be fatal. So this skin protects us from germs entering in and harming us. 
Sometimes if the cut is deep enough, blood begins to rush to that area and it begins to form a clot. Over time, it scars and it actually shields the insides from those germs and those harmful harmful things on the outside. Today, I don't don't think about the pain of that moment on that bike and that street the same way that I, I did then. I think more about the healing. Oftentimes I find myself in the mirror, I will, I will just every once in a while, I'll, I'll poke at it, I'll, I'll press on it, and, and it's fascinating. It feels different than it did. It's almost the same as my oldest shoulder. It's like it, if, if I hadn't known, if I didn't remember, if the scar wasn't there as a reminder, I'd forget it happened. And when my daughter touched it, she touched my shoulder. I didn't put her at arm's length. I didn't say, hey, don't touch that. Instead, it was an opportunity because, you know, I no longer feel the physical pain of that moment. I was able to bring her close and tell her a little bit about my story. You know, it's no different when it comes to the wounds of our hearts. See, our faith in Jesus acts as this barrier, this like human skin that protects us from wounds to our souls. Whether it's the result of injustice, our own sin, or just life. See, God designed our faith to withstand the wounds of the world. What if we begin to look at our scars, not as signs of defeat, but as marks of God's grace and and signs of his victory over pain and suffering? Jesus, too, had scars. I remember when you've read about it in the Gospels, he he was hung on this cross and he died and they got his, his body and they threw it in a tomb. Three days later, all of a sudden, word spreads out. He is risen. Word reaches the disciples. But Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't so easily convinced. In fact, he, he, said, he said that unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands, unless I touch where the nails were, unless my hand can touch his side where they pierced him, I will not believe. So Jesus, about a week later, shows up to the disciples. And he walks up to Thomas. He says, put your fingers here. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. I think about that moment and and if we're not careful, we can begin to be judgmental. We can begin to look at Thomas and talk about his lack of faith. But one thing I want us to not blow over is that Jesus met him where he was. See, Jesus wanted Thomas to see with his own eyes that the pain did not hinder his purpose. Church family, there are people in this world that in in many ways, they won't know, they won't believe that Jesus lives unless we show them our scars. See, I believe that after God begins to heal us, if we're willing to allow the people around us to see where our hearts have been pierced, that God will use that to reveal his power. We'll be able to say with confidence, that should have took me out, but I'm still standing. I love God more today than I did yesterday. Glory be to God that he turned my tragedy into triumph by wounds into worship. Are you willing to allow people to see the scars in your face? I'll end with this last point. I won't be in front of you very long. Fullness of joy. Everybody say fullness of joy. During the sermon at Pentecost, 
Peter is quoting verses 8 through 11 of chapter 16 of Psalms. And this is what it says. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In verse 8, I love this. It says, I have set the Lord before me. And, and what, that, what that means, I, I love what he's saying here. He's saying that, that, that God is in this constant position in David's life. It was this position that was unchanging despite the circumstances. God is going to be still in this place and not moving. Whether it's in times of war or times of peace, the Lord is before him. Whether it's in abounding in wealth or stricken with poverty, the Lord was before him. I have said also means to resemble or reflect. My right hand is symbolic of, of strength of God. So with God in my right hand, I can resemble God and that I can also be strong. I can also be constant. I can also be unmovable. I will not be shaken. So here's Peter on the, on the day of Pentecost. Surrounded by people representing every nation under heaven as the Bible describes it. And he begins to dive into to verse 10. And this is what he says. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption. Other translations say you will not abandon my, my, me to the realm of dead or, or you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. And what's interesting is Peter is declaring to the masses of people that God is, when he's saying this, he's saying you, you will not abandon me to the grave. You're saying that, that you will not let your holy one see decay. This isn't just about David. It's so much more. Because if it was just about David, then why was his bones in the, in the tomb decaying? See, the answer is the psalm was speaking prophetically about Jesus. And though he too was buried in a tomb, his bones did not decay. He didn't stay there. See, he rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God. The people listening to Peter were so moved by his words and the spirit fell in that place. 3,000 people surrendered their lives to Jesus that day. So what does this mean for us, church? Because Jesus Christ is risen. Not only is, is death on the cross a, a sign of God executing his plan of salvation, but this also means that for us, there's life beyond death. This should do something in our souls. I don't know about you, but I get excited. It ignites something in my heart to know that when, it, when I leave this earth, when I'm done in this world, that it's not the end but the beginning. See, the joy that I have, the world did not give it, and the world cannot take it away. That's why in verse 11, he ends this chapter, and he's saying that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. If we focus on earthly things, they will eventually rob us of our joy. But if we keep the Lord before us always, he will never disappoint and we will have a hope that does not put us to shame. I wear this cross, and it is my daughter's ashes. On the back of it in Greek, it's spelled, it's kara, it's, it's Greek for joy. But you know, it's more than just my daughter's name. It's my position in Christ. That even in, even in my midst of my pain, even in my suffering, even in my heart, darkest hour, I have joy close to my heart. Joy.
My earnest desire for this church is that Jesus will be all that we need, that we would somehow find beauty in the ashes, that we would truly experience fullness of joy.